0: You know, I got to ask, what did your wife say when you were like, hey, I'm thinking of like taking kind of a flamethrower role uh, into this family? Uh, You know, did you get a good reaction from her? Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Reenactors Corner podcast. This is Chris here once again, happy to welcome Casey back to the podcast. Casey, thanks for coming back on.
1: Thank you for having me again.
0: So we have a very exciting thing to talk about today. You have undertaken a really unique and interesting uh, endeavor here. You basically are going to be one of You know, probably very few people in the world really doing like a kind of a World War II reenacting related uh, business. Why don't you just take it away and uh, give us all the big announcement?
1: Okay, so um, slight backstory. I'm sure we'll get back into it later. I was confronted by uh, Charlie Hobson, who was the flamethrower expert, um, to pretty much take over the business uh, and take up the mantle that he has done. I had uh, my coworker, who's actually my boss. He's a gunnery sergeant. I told him about it, and he wanted in. He does nothing reenacting-related, but now he's uh, been taken into the world of reenacting. And uh, we both split the business and um, bought the business out from Charlie. And uh, the good thing is, is he still uh, wants to be a part of it uh, with, you know helping out wherever he can but yeah that's uh that's what we're doing these days
0: so charlie and his flamethrowers are something that a lot of reenactors have seen at events in the northeast over the last 20 plus years i don't know how long he had been doing this but i have watched as he has given flamethrower demonstrations allowed other people to use the flamethrowers sometimes and uh just participated in displays showing off the flamethrowers, talking about them. Uh, what, what was the business that he really built up, and what did that business entail?
1: So the business he started around 30 years ago, uh, he was contacted, he was getting into flamethrowers and uh, reenacting, and um, there's really nothing out there for it. So he had been contacted to service one, And he took on the big endeavor to figure out how to do that. Because there was almost nothing back then. Um, The U.S. got rid of flamethrowers in the early 80s, late 70s. And um, he slowly started figuring things out. And from there, basically his business was that he would uh, service... Uh Fix and Fire Flamethrowers. That's essentially the business uh at, at its core.
0: And when you bought the business from him, he had some operational flamethrowers, right? I mean I've seen him use these things in the past.
1: Yes, he had nine operational flamethrowers. Uh we bought one original Marine Corps one that's uh the M two dash two flamethrower. It's the pretty typical World War Two US flamethrower that you see in most movies. And documentaries and whatnot. Um, this one is a Marine Corps one that was had the original Marine Corps forest green paint in, or painted still. And uh, we bought that one off him. He still has eight more, believe it or not.
0: So it's pretty mind-boggling. I think probably for a lot of people, not only uh, all over the world, but even right here in the United States, that it's even illegal for a per- that it is even legal for a person to own a flamethrower at all. Um, what What is the legality of this thing? Is it considered a firearm? Is it considered a destructive device? Like, you know, you must have had to learn about sort of the legal classifications of these things.
1: So this is going to blow everyone away. And it's not considered a firearm, a destructive device. It's not considered anything. So anyone um, up until a couple of years ago can own this in any states. Even felons believe it or not, can own these things. Um, They were considered for many years to be used as agricultural devices to burn crops. Um, Firefighters would use them for training and everything else like that. Uh, The only states out there right now that ban them is uh, Maryland, is one state in the U.S. that completely outright bans them. And then you have New Jersey and, I believe, California that have regulations against them but mainly because of the newer flamethrowers from like Elon Musk and stuff. And those newer flamethrowers is like fun little toys to use, but any in Charlie's believe it or not has helped write the laws on all of this stuff. So like anything, um, 50 years or older are still within, uh, regulation and everything like that. But there's no federal regulations out there for these things.
0: That really is incredible to think that like a, uh, you know, for for a lot of people, it's impossible for them even to own like a, a 22 caliber rifle to hunt rabbits with, but that they could uh, wield and operate a flamethrower, and it would be totally legal for them to do that.
1: Correct. Um Now, with these military flamethrowers, there's a lot of money that comes into it. These things aren't expensive. Th- these things are very expensive these days. Back then, they were less expensive when he got into it, but um, and I'm sure we'll get into it later with the safety and stuff that, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you can't just pick up a flamethrower that, you know, your grandfather had saved in, you know, the attic for many years and you just go out and fire it.
0: Yeah, like, um, and I I know a little bit about using, I mean, I use a, a blowtorch at work, like an oxyacetylene torch. I don't have any way of knowing... If a flamethrower is in any way comparable to that, I mean, it's a it's pressurized gases, right? Or it's or it's like a liquid fuel. What what the heck even is this thing? I don't actually know anything about it.
1: So the the basic premise from which stemmed from the Germans in World War One is it's uh, you have a tank that has usually typically two tanks that hold the fuel, and then you have a pressure bottle and a regulator. Now. Essentially, when you pressurize the pressure bottle, you, you let the air out of the pressure bottle. It pressurizes the tanks that hold the fuel, and the now the fuel is now pressurized. And then you have uh, a, a, a gun sort of deal where it goes through a hose, and the pressurized fuel goes out, and you have some sort of ign- ignition system that will light it.
0: All right, and I've got to think, like, there. it can't be that all of this stuff is made out of metal. There has to be rubber components in there. And anyone who is a World War II reenactor, or certainly a World War I reenactor who's handled original rubber material from the early middle 20th century knows that this gets hard over time and is really no longer suitable for its intended use. Is that the case with flamethrowers? Are there parts that sort of uh, perish with time?
1: Oh, yes. Uh, Most of the parts, like hoses and things like that, those older ones are no good anymore. Metal components, um, they tend to be good, but you have a lot of tests that we have to do for it. Uh, Seals, O-rings, anything that's plastic, rubber, components, um, we typically replace with new-made stock um, just for reliability, safety uh, concerns.
0: So I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm a little surprised to know that they still make uh, components that are able to be used with these very old systems, but I suppose that um, certain things like rubber seals and hoses that exist in standard measurements that maybe they used during World War II could still be used for industrial purposes today.
1: Yeah, so like hoses, for instance, we use uh, hydraulic hoses that are still made, they Same hydraulic hoses, just different lengths are in your gas pumps today. Um, A lot of the O-rings were standard sizes back then during World War II. Not much has changed. The fittings and everything, uh, threaded stuff that like for the hoses, um, what threads into it, these things are still actively available. Believe it or not, the uh, pressure regulator that we use that uh, essentially... When you turn on the pressure bottle that releases the air that to pressurize the um, the tanks, what the U.S. found out with the M2 was that uh, a lot of the German stuff and a lot of other countries were having problems where you would start the flamethrower and the pressure would be very have a lot of pressure, and then as you would keep firing, the pressure would slowly decrease until you would stop shooting. The Americans figured out with the M2-2 flamethrower that if we could figure out a way that we can keep the pressure consistent, which is what the regulator does, that would be great. So we could have every time we fire it until the last shot, it, it keeps it the same pressure. Now, uh, the pressure regulator we use, we use one from Korea. It was the uh, M2A1, which is just a slight upgrade from the M2 2. Um, and they still use those regulators on rockets and stuff today. It's a, uh, it's a tried and true thing that still holds true to this day. Uh,
0: you must have gotten a lot of stuff, I've got to think, when you um, bought this business from Charlie. Are there spare parts and things like that that he had, maybe that he had accumulated over time that uh, might you might not be able to get them now or in the future?
1: Uh, yes. Shorter answer is yes. Um, I have been doing flamethrower reenactments and repairs uh, throughout the years with Charlie for about eight years now. And I keep my eye out for just like reenactment gear, firearms, etc. Um, and I would say about 99% of this stuff I've never seen available on the internet, uh, which is a pretty crazy thing. Uh, we what he gave us versus what we thought we were getting on his list of stuff that we paid for, uh, was vastly different. We got mounds and mounds of stuff that, uh, I currently because me and my uh, co-business owner he doesn't have, really have the room, and uh, I though he does have the room. It's in his garage, which isn't climate controlled. Where I have it all in my basement, which is climate controlled because rust is a big enemy of flamethrower parts because you don't want rust uh, and you know metal break down th- through corrosion. So. I essentially have an entire basement full of uh, boxes, parts, filing cabinets, uh, it, anything and anything flamethrower related. It, it's just I have mounds of it. It's, it honestly, Chris, it, it fails it, it puts your mounds to shame.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear that because uh, you know it really makes me happy when someone else has like a bigger hoarding issue than I do
1: yeah it was we bought a giant we got we rented a giant truck to pick all this stuff up and as we went through it we were like, What in the hell do we get ourselves into
0: I guess we, we probably should have said this before, and uh, people who are long-time listeners who've heard you on the podcast before, Casey, will already know this, but you're not just like a, a 14-year-old boy who got interested in reenacting six months ago. You have like a lot of experience in reenacting and also a lot of experience with weapons due to your training in the United States Marines. And I can see why... Um, Charlie might have thought that you would be a great person to take what he had built and carry it on into the future. Um, I got to think there's got to be a lot of literature. You know, you mentioned filing cabinets, but there must be a lot of stuff written down about... um, parts and fuels and how to and safety and all of these other topics that go along with being maybe the foremost expert in the United States on flamethrower use and operation.
1: Yeah. Uh, pretty much hit it on the head. We have two filing cabinets full of uh, every single service document that he's ever done on his flamethrowers through the past 30 years. We have a plethora of Original manuals. Scanned manuals. Um, just notes and stuff that he has. Uh, captured German documents. For like the Flamenwaffe 41. Which was the smaller one that came out. Uh, we have like captured documents. Documents uh, of that. We we just have so much stuff. Uh, any manual that you could possibly think of. We probably have. And then I also got a 1 terabyte hard drive of just all of his computer notes service history contacts you name it we have it it's photos it's just it's he kept a very well and documented history of his business um, that will really help us in the future
0: That's awesome. I love that kind of record keeping. Let's talk a little bit about the business aspect of it. I know about this business just from reenacting and seeing this person and what he did at events where I guess... um, Like, for example, at events where the public would pay to come, flamethrower demonstrations would be listed as an attraction, and then he would, uh, you know, blast at things with the flamethrower, and, uh, you know, it's extremely uh, impressive. I've got to say, I still remember, I think, the first time I ever saw it and just felt that incredible searing blast of heat on my face, even though I was standing you know 27 miles away or whatever um <laughs> is that the primary way that uh this business earns money
1: yeah so um so servicing rebuilding flamethrowers is a big part of it because these things are inherently expensive these days because if you got a flamethrower and you don't know the condition of it, it's essentially worth as a collectible item versus a working one um so we provide those services to fix them, test them, make sure they're all safe so you have a working flamethrower. But one of the other big big things we do is we do go to shows. We do contact these uh, reenactments, public reenactments. Uh, we do do private reenactments or uh, private shows, machine gun shoots. Yeah, I mean, rentals are probably the biggest cost, but, you know, the... The reenactments we do charge for, you know, our time, fuel, travel, all that stuff. Um, it does bring in. It's not like it. It's not like this is a full-time business. It's more. It's definitely a side business. But you know, for someone like myself who's already reenacting for 11, 12 years now, it wouldn't hurt to make money on the side doing what I already do that I pay out of my own pocket for.
0: I think it's great. You know, something like this requires a lot of expertise. It requires being able to offer something that other people aren't offering. I mean, I think that the reenacting and sort of reenacting adjacent markets are pretty saturated with a lot of businesses. And this is something that is so niche. Um, I don't think you're going to have any competition, right? This is something that was kind of built by this one guy over decades, and he is now retiring and is passing on the torch. Just seems like a really great opportunity, and uh, I-, I think you're the guy to do it. I mean, you you alluded to this before, but um, you know, you fired uh, his flamethrower, or flamethrowers long before uh, be- taking over his business as your own. Ever was something on your radar? Isn't that right?
1: yeah that's correct and uh it's funny funny you say that uh so my wife I, I didn't even remember this but when i told my wife that uh he had offered me the business last year of uh, 2022 when i went to the Reading air show um he i told my wife this and she goes well he would said that before right and i was like huh and he I guess my wife remembered I didn't that he apparently said you know one day this this could be yours and I was like oh yeah yeah that'd be cool, and then um, it kind of became a reality. Um, and I just want to just say so when when we bought, he had other people that were willing to buy the business, but he knew like the, the two Marines he want he's a big big fan of the Marine Corps. He uh, wanted to go to the two Marines, and with our maintenance and firearms background, he thought we'd be the best fit and because we actually like a lot of these couple of other people that were on the hook to buy it they were you know firearms salesmen gunsmith whatever they just didn't have uh had a, a different background and you know we would keep it going for a while and since we bought the business and have spent a lot of time with him uh working on stuff and firing and everything since we bought it um he's pretty much kind of a little I think we took the weight off his shoulders and he's still going to be like an active person in it. Um, he, as far as maintenance and everything go, we're definitely going to be probably the, the people that are going to help, but he's going to be actively there to, if we run into problems that, uh, that he's run into that he could help us out with, or, you know, go out to reenactments, he'll, he'll still come out to these things. So he's still a part of the business. He's not completely retired. I think that we kind of revitalized him um and, it's crazy he's in his 70s and this man was running laps around both of us he is a he is a machine
0: it must be emotional for him i mean this clearly is something that he put a significant chunk of his life energy into this passion that he formed into this business and uh it must be really affirming for him to see you guys approaching it with some renewed energy and the ability to carry this thing on into the future.
1: Oh yeah, he uh, like I said, he was he was really willing to give up the mantle and be done with it after a couple years out. Like he had said from the get go, like I got probably a couple more years in this that'll help you guys with if you want it. But uh, after seeing us in action and how we do things and interacting, we spent like a week at his house just going through everything, learning as much as possible that we didn't already know. And, uh, yeah, he's like, he, I, it's almost like similar to reenacting when you, you're around people that you're like kind of getting burnt out on with reenacting and you're kind of done with it. And then you get around these new people and it's like revitalized and you want to be actively a part of it. And he, he's kind of gone that way.
0: That's great. Now, you know, what's it really like, uh, Firing a flamethrower, I know it's kind of hard to even describe. Like, you know, if someone asked me, like, what's it like firing a gun? I don't know. There's a loud noise and recoil. But uh, a flamethrower is a totally different thing and something that a lot of people will probably never experience. Maybe never want to experience. Uh, you know, is it is it hot, Casey? <laughs>
1: All right, so I got two things for that. Um, I guess three. I'll give you my my personal things. So when we went up there, uh the guy who split the business with me, he's my gunny, um, James Meany, great guy. I've known him for years. We worked at two we were at two different uh Marine Corps units together, uh separated between him going to recruiting or whatever. But I had asked him, he had been to Iraq, Afghanistan, he's been there, done it all, been in combat and um I had asked him, I was like, hey, I was like, what's the craziest gun you've ever seen fire or fire and he told me it's like some sort of machine gun or whatever and i was like okay i was like this is probably going to be the most crazy weapon you've ever seen fire slash will fire and he goes all right he fires it he comes back to me with the the empty tanks on his back and i'm like well what did you think he's like that was incredible and i was like was it the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen in your life and he goes yes and now (laughs) the second part is that uh so for those who aren't familiar with it uh uh Woody Williams Herschel Woody Williams he was the uh, he passed away last year God rest his soul he was the uh, last medal of honor recipient of World War II to pass away and on Iwo Jima he had burned out seven bunkers with his flamethrower in one day and he was re- he uh, received the medal of honor for it so Charlie had done flamethrower reenactments with them. He was also uh, the leader of the Gold Star Memorial Foundation or whatever, where he would go all across the United States and build Gold Star uh, monuments, which essentially the Gold Star, found, Gold Star is like uh, if you are a parent and your loved one, your son or daughter dies in war, uh, you would be a Gold Star family. So they would build monuments all over the, the country. And he was pretty busy with that. And the last reenactment he did was was with Charlie was in 2021, in his uh, in West Virginia where he li- where he lived. And he one of those things that he wanted he just wanted to see people's reactions. He wanted to do more. We were actually planning for him last year, like two months bef- after he passed away. And obviously we didn't do it because he passed away, unfortunately. But one of the biggest things that he wanted to see on people's faces, he said he wanted to be at Marines and he wanted to see people's reactions when they saw the flamethrower. And the best way I can describe it of, of seeing a flamethrower shoot in person is that picture you're at a campfire. you got a big old campfire going and you get really close and you can feel the ambient heat to the point where it, it's it's very hot. You've got you to back away. That's what it's like about 40, 50 feet away it's just yeah, that's true it's it's just an extreme amount of heat and then seeing it forced in one direction it's just it's incredible and one of the things i first noticed is how much recoil it truly has because of the 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 pressure behind it um it's got quite a quite a bit of pressure
0: what is the um, what is the fuel that comes out it's like a flaming liquid is it
1: it depends on what you ask so what we do is we shoot diesel fuel it's a non volatile gas you can put a match on it so it's very safe and then we use uh for the propellant the gas we use nitrogen it's uh inert gas uh that's what they use in fire extinguishers so it's rather safe so in wartime nitrogen was the pr- uh the preferred method but if you couldn't do it you could just use compressed air but obviously compressed air plus fire equals more fire um they did use gasoline um There's no doubt they preferred diesel fuel, but, uh, towards the end of the war, probably from like 43 on, they were really experimenting with gelled gas like napalm, which is a diesel night, uh, gasoline mixture with a, uh, powdered component to gel it.
0: That sounds, uh, that sounds really wild. Um, you know, it's, I want to ask you before I forget, you know, you kind of mentioned that there is, that these things are valuable, that there is a value differential between a flamethrower that might be a complete and collectible item, but that the operational status is unknown and a flamethrower that you could uh, pick up and use to, you know, burn down your house or whatever you might want to do with it. I mean, what kind of ballpark values are we talking here for uh, American military surplus flamethrowers?
1: Okay. So, We'll go into the history real quick, which will tie back into the, the value of these things. So you have the M1 flamethrower, which was, historically, it's very rare. Uh, these things were a piece of junk. They were, the Ar- The U.S. Army came out and, like, said, hey, we need a uh, flamethrower in 90 days because we completely avoided it. Uh, we, we thought they were useless, and then we saw the rest of the world use them. And we're like, okay, the Secretary of Defense said we need one of these. So the, they, they, they call it the 90-day wonder. They were a piece of junk. Uh, They had a fire extinguisher company make them. In 30 days, they beat the 90-day mark, and they used spark plugs and uh, hydrogen to light it. Those are exceptionally rare. Uh, Then you have the M1A1, which is just a a modified version of the M1 flamethrower, also fairly rare. Then you have the M2-2 flamethrower. Uh, More common. They made much more of them. Uh, They work a lot more reliably, and then you have the... You can get into different stuff, but you have the M3 Auxiliary Flamethrower. This is what replaces the coaxial machine gun uh, with a flamethrower. Those are pretty uh, expensive and rare. We also got a parts kit that I didn't even know about in our collection that we have to rebuild uh, from the ground up. And then you have the M9-7, which was the Vietnam-era one. Uh, Those ones are the tanks aren't exceptionally rare, but the gun groups are—the one that actually, the part that shoots the flame—because uh, the U.S. Army and Marine Corps destroyed most of them. So, uh, an M2-2 in rebuilt configuration, you're looking at anywhere from twenty to thirty-five thousand um, dollars. It depends on if it's World War II parts. If it's Korean War parts, it really depends. Um, if it's in an unissued condition, uh, M1 and M1A1 flamethrowers typically can be anywhere from twenty-two to thirty-five thousand dollars. Like I said, it really varies on the condition and the originality of the flamethrower. And then the uh, the Vietnam ones, the M9-7 can be a lot more money because of that wand, um, the the gun the gun group. So um they're very expensive and with the now i'm talking with all these prices i'm talking working flamethrowers and a working flamethrower isn't worth a damn if it's not hydro tested which is the test we do for tests for inelastic deformation i'm sure we'll get into that but they have to be done every five to ten years to make sure that the the tank to make sure the flamethrower can still withstand the pressure of it being constantly used um so and we're talking if it's just a a run-of-the-mill flamethrower that hasn't been tested never been fired it's been sitting somewhere you're looking at ten thousand dollars a lot of these flamethrowers were um demilled with pickaxes they would put a pickaxe in each of the tanks those can be rebuilt and they can be worth we can we have a way to reweld them um believe it or not still work and work very reliably those are looking from seventeen to $23,000, if not more, depending on the, the historical value of what it was before.
0: That's really fascinating. Yeah, like, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about the whole safety and testing aspect of this thing? You know, I don't know the first thing about what goes into it. Um, I mean, I know that there's there's risks there right like anyone who's seen saving private ryan has seen the scene where you know the guy's flamethrower gets shot or whatever and he blows up and he just dies a horrible fiery death how can you avoid that fate for yourself
1: okay so i'll stop you right there all right so the hollywood scene loves to show the flamethrower getting shot and blow up and uh have a fiery horrific death and that's just untrue um You would have to have the correct situation where you're shooting napalm or gasoline, maybe even diesel fuel. I'm sure it could happen, and these things did happen. But you have to have the the flamethrower pressurized, ready to go, like the, the fuel tanks are pressurized with the air. And you would have to have some sort of incendiary bullet hit the tanks, not a regular bullet. If a regular bullet will hit it, it would just... Either spurt out fuel all over the operator, or the operator might get killed from shrapnel. But you know, according to Hollywood, that's not cool enough. So it did happen. I'm not going to say it didn't. I've read books where it did. I've talked to you know veterans, and I've read uh veteran interviews where it did happen. But it was so so uncommon. um The biggest the biggest problem with being a flamethrower operator was just your life expectancy, because like mainly on the Pacific War in the Pacific Theater, the Japanese were only afraid of one thing and that was flamethrower operators. Nobody wanted to be burned to death. So you were a giant target and you were slow moving because these things weigh about 85 pounds with fuel. Um, So um, as far as safety goes, in World War II there was only a couple accidents and believe it or not it was at the factory where these things would go up. So, All other accidents were operator based Where it was lack of operator training That these people got hurt or killed Uh, The two biggest ways to get killed with a flamethrower Is shooting too close to you And having the flame bounce back towards you Or shooting because of the recoil on it Is letting the gun group, the wand as we call it Go and let it go up Have the recoil go up and rain fuel back down on you very safe now let me preface that with it's safe if they're just like regular firearms or anything else it's safe when they're maintained properly flamethrowers are not like firearms where you could have them in grease for 40 years and bring it out as long as you have the right ammo you can shoot it and it would be fine they're more like cars if they sit you need a lot of maintenance to be done to them and they they, they could work um in World War II, the, uh, the rate of accidents was 1 in 40,000. And like I said, they were mainly at the factory. We've, we've gotten that statistic down to 1 in 1 million and a half. And now Charlie, he has had over 4,000 firings and taught over 900 people how to shoot. And he's had zero incidents.
0: That's really impressive. Yeah. I guess for the flamethrower that you have... You guys must have a sort of a maintenance schedule for it. And I guess the idea is that other people out there who are using flamethrowers for whatever purpose uh, might periodically be sending this thing to you to be uh, tested, certified, repaired as needed. Is that, is that how it is?
1: Yes. Uh, so, um, you know, these things are inherently anywhere from 60 to 80-something years old. Um, We're looking at 5 to 10 years for rebuilds uh, to... Unless they they have issues. Because these things do happen. Um, We had an issue with our hose this weekend that we had to repair. Um, But typically, if they don't have any problems, typically 5 to 10 years. We want to test the tanks out. um, Redo all the seals. Redo the regulator, the pressure bottle. uh, Just pretty much resurface this whole thing. Because, you know... We, we have a very good system on servicing them because the combat load for a flamethrower to be pressurized at is 380 PSI. This is typically used with napalm, which is gelled so it's heavier so you need a higher pressure rate. We shoot these at 250 PSI. So you're already putting less stress on the, the tanks for wear than if you were at a 380 When we do test them, we use a, uh, we do a hydro test on it that would be, we test it to 600 PSI. Um, so like we tested ours, our flamethrower and we tested it to 600 PSI and you're looking for inelastic deformation, which is essentially you're looking for stretch on the tanks as you pressurize it. How much does the tanks stretch? According to the manual, it's two percent. If you go over two percent, the tanks are done; they're no good anymore. Our tanks had point zero 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 two stretching. So with the proper ma- cool. with the proper maintenance and everything, you got years and years and years left on this flamethrower.
0: That's great. No, I it doesn't even come as a huge surprise to me because uh, I know this is a totally different kind of tank. Um, But, like, where I work, the oxygen and acetylene tanks that we use for the torch, um, we get them refilled. You know, we'll get, like, a a new tank. We return the old tank. And very often, I'm looking at these tanks, and these things have dates from the 50s and 40s, and sometimes even before on there, that these things have been in use for decades, just refilled a lot. I mean... uh, steel has the ability to be durable in that way you know so i i think hopefully these uh these flamethrowers will be usable with original tanks maybe for centuries to come you know
1: i believe that they will with the proper maintenance and uh handling which is a big thing i think these things will go for at least another 100 years if not more um it's just, they they very are, like, they can be finicky at times with little issues like leaks and stuff, uh, you know, with seals. It's basically, it, it's seals and O-rings and uh, things like that that they, these things can go wrong or just parts wear down over time. But the overall components, yeah, these things can go forever. They They really are very durable.
0: So you've been doing uh, World War II reenacting for a long time. You've been doing USMC, uh, World War II, and World War One reenacting now for a long time. Have you thought about how you're going to incorporate this new... Uh, the fact that you have a functional flamethrower into like what you were already doing for reenacting besides the business aspect of it?
1: I, I do German, and I did GI for a little bit... Um, and I've been doing Marine Corps World War II for probably 9 or 10 years. And then when I got into it, like I said, like, I got into it probably, yeah, close to 10 years ago with the Marine Corps stuff. Two years in, I got a chance to shoot the flamethrower, and it's been like that ever since. But with now that we own our own flamethrower, it just... I, I went on almost a hiatus because there wasn't a lot of stuff for Marine Corps stuff going on and life and all that. But it's almost opened up a new door for my World War II Marine Corps impression to able to do stuff. uh, And the unfortunate part is most of the stuff, because people don't really have a big interest in the Pacific theater of war, especially on the Japanese side. We don't do a lot of tacticals, if any. There's, there's very few in the country, but there's a lot of public uh, events to do things at. And uh, it's definitely opened up a whole new door. Marine Corps Paris Island, they have a museum there that has a historical group that does stuff in the mid Atlantic area, South, in the south in like south carolina north carolina pennsylvania and then i got connected with the marine corps official historical company they're the official people to do all things historical for the entire marine corps and it's opened up many doors to do more reenactments and teach teach the public about the the gospel of the marine corps during world war ii uh do do stuff like that uh, make my impression better and everything else, including flamethrower stuff.
0: I saw some pictures that you shared where you were shooting flames at stuff recently. What was, what was that event?
1: So that was the Virginia's... It's like the Military Mechanic uh, Mechanized Museum. It's essentially what they call a uh, tank farm in Virginia. And it is in Noakesville, Virginia. They have a... Uh, it's essentially a timeline event, but they have a, a very vast amount of uh, mechanized vehicles... Um, and they, the histo- the Marine Corps' historical company does a, uh, pretty much is the leader of that. They do, a, a flamethrower demonstration. And then they do a, uh, sort of tactical with, uh, you know, Marine rifleman squads and a flamethrower where we burn out a bunker.
0: That sounds super fun. The pictures looked cool too.
1: Yeah, it was actually the first time I shot film at a flamethrower reenactment. I shot some eight millimeter film as well, but I only shot half a roll, so, uh, I want to wait till I shoot the other half before I develop it.
0: So for anyone who's listening to this, maybe they've got a dusty old flamethrower in the closet that they haven't known what to do with. Uh how can someone get in touch with you and maybe uh take advantage of what you're offering now with regard to these insane weapons?
1: <laughs> okay, so uh we are on uh it's the the com, and then uh since we took over the business cuz Charlie was not too uh social media savvy we have uh flamethrower experts on facebook and the same with uh instagram and then i actually converted my youtube over which was originally colonel hogan film to the flamethrower experts on youtube don't worry if anyone actually watches my channel i still post the same stuff i'm just going to post more flamethrower stuff but yeah those are the places you can find us and uh we'll be happy to help We'd take out some of our pictures from our events and we'd be sharing them with the veterans and you know they would say, oh I, I don't remember who this was, or I, and then we would say, oh no no, like th- that's us. I wanted to change the reputation of SS reenactors. I didn't want us to always be seen as this nefarious group with strange political undercurrents. Yeah, I've always loved helmets
0: from World War II and that has snowballed into, I want to get a helmet from every country from World War II. I'm insane the reenactors corner bringing history to life all right a final question for today casey uh you know i gotta ask what did your wife say when you were like hey i'm thinking of like taking kind of a flamethrower role uh into this family uh you know did you get a good reaction from her
1: um yes at first and then she had some she had some serious questions to ask i put her mind at ease with uh you know that i've been doing this for a while and there's, there's money to be made and, you know, teach the public and everything and teach, uh, our, you know, everyone about history of flamethrowers. And she was on board.
0: Does she want to fire the flamethrower, Casey? Uh,
1: we'll work there. We'll get there. Uh, she, Excellent. She, she just wants to help uh, wherever she can, but maybe. Awesome.
0: All right, Casey, my friend, it is always great to talk to you. I learned so much about flamethrowers that I never even thought about uh before we had this discussion so thanks for that and thanks for coming on the program
1: thank you for having me all
0: right so to casey and everybody out there uh stay safe don't get blown up by a flamethrower and i will see you in the field
1: see you in the field
0: we love hearing what you think about the podcast so why not reach out to us on facebook or discord just search for the reenactors corner and you'll find us there And if you've enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting us via Patreon. Your generous contributions, no matter how big or small, really do keep us on the air. And you'll also get regular additional exclusive episodes as a thank you. You can find details of where to find us on Patreon in the show notes. Thanks for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next time here on The Reenactor's Corner.